In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A blessed feast day to everyone as we commemorate all the saints, and a blessed patronal feast to everyone too. Today we look at why we commemorate all the saints and reflect on what the significance is for us to, on our own paths to sainthood, because we are all on this same path too, to becoming saints. This path is nothing other than the path to holiness. And in several places in the scriptures, we are commanded to be holy, for God is holy. In fact, in the gospel readings this week from the book of Matthew, Christ sums up his message on the mount to his followers by saying, therefore, you shall be perfect. So the challenge is laid for all of us who carry the name of Christ. But we begin today first and foremost with the commemoration of all the saints. They truly have given all of themselves. And for this, they are worthy to be honored. And for this, they are worthy to be venerated. We read in the scripture passages of today the the extreme and the maximal nature of all that they have given. Their comfort, their security, uh, a chance at a so-called normal life, their very lives. They endured rejection, persecution, misunderstanding, the ignorance of the people, slander, torture, exile, and death. And they displayed great wonders and miracles. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews is thinking of figures from the Old Testament, but we see these kinds of lives throughout the New Testament too and beyond to this very day. And it is a witness of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. I would encourage you, if it's been a while, to read your own saint's story this week. Reacquaint yourself with him or, or, or her and honor and venerate the saint after whom you have been named. But how does this relate to us when we're not at the level of the saints? The answer is that we're on the same journey, but we're at a different stage. And we start small. We see down-to-earth advice, for example, when people come to John the Baptist, St. John the Forerunner, and they're asking him, what shall we do? And he tells them things like, If you have two tunics, share one of them with someone else and share your food. And he tells the tax collectors, only take what is due to you. Is this all that is going to be required from people for the rest of their lives? No, but they're starting small. In the epistle that St. James wrote, he says, do you want to be religious? Bridle your tongue. Control your words. Is this the only thing that we need to do to be religious? No, but it's a good starting point. Within each of the passions or the sins that we're trying to overcome and the holiness that we're trying to acquire, there are also stages within each one as well. For example, with anger or impatience, our first step is to stop ourselves from lashing out angrily with angry uh, words or actions or impatient ones. And once we've been able to master that, then we try to turn away from any angry feelings. And once we've mastered that, then we try to not even entertain any angry or impatient thoughts whatsoever. But all of these are still in the red, so to speak. They are simply trying to not do a particular thing. And we have to move from this into the green. That is, we have to actually put in place something that is positive and something that is holy and good. 
putting loving and merciful feelings, thoughts, and actions in place of the angry ones until we reach a, a, a point, and the saints do reach this point, where there's not even a speck of resentment or anger or impatience in their hearts, and nothing anyone does can shake the peace that they have. And in fact, their hearts are filled with so much love and mercy that it's just overflowing for all people and all things, even the very people who would be torturing and killing them. So if we are called to be perfect, and if we are called to be holy for God is holy, it's not to fulfill some arbitrary law. It's not to fulfill some unrealistic expectation. And it's not to please anyone, but it's because God wants us to be truly free. If we haven't reached this point of having a heart that is so filled with love and mercy that it cannot simply get angry at all, if we're not at that point, then we're not truly healed, and God wants us to be healed. There's a good example of this from the Ladder of Divine Ascent by St. John uh, Climacus. And one day, a man comes to join the brothers at the monastery named Isidore. And the abbot of the monastery sees that this Isidore was a troublemaker, cruel, sly, and proud. And the abbot tells him, I want you to learn obedience first before we accept you into the brotherhood. And Isidore gives this great reply. He says, Most Holy Father, I submit to you like iron to the blacksmith. Little did he know what was coming. The abbot says to him, I want you to stand at the gate of the monastery. And before everyone passing in or out, I want you to say, bow before them and say, pray for me, I am an epileptic. Now, he's not really an epileptic, but this is what the abbot wants him to say. So he goes and he does this. He obeys. And at first, when he recounts this to St. John, he says that he completed, this, he completed this at first with bitterness, with great effort, and blood. And he felt as if he had been sold into slavery. That's how bitter it was for him to have to do this humiliating action. But he said that after a while... His heart was no longer grieved, and he began to think of the reward that he was going to get for doing this holy action. And after another year, he says this. He says, I found that in the depths of my heart, I began to see how unworthy I was to live in a monastery, to encounter the fathers, to share in the divine mysteries. I lost the courage to look anyone in the face, but lowering my eyes and lowering my thoughts even further, I asked with true sincerity for the prayers of those going in and out. From great effort and bitterness to hope of a reward to doing things with true sincerity. This is the path. This is the path to holiness. There are stages of advancement. It's like a continuum, a spectrum, and we're all on this spectrum. Now, some of us may be at the very beginning. I remember as a kid with my brothers and my sister, my parents used to force us to say sorry to each other. And they'd be like, Tim, say sorry to your brother. And these were the kind of apologies that I would muster up at first. Well, sorry. <laughs> or another apology that I was good at was, well, I'm sorry you're so sensitive and can't take a joke. <laughs> or another one was, I'm sorry I said that, but you shouldn't have been so mean, and you shouldn't have done that, and you shouldn't have, so on and so forth. And 
over time, I was gradually able to realize I should say sorry because I did do something wrong, but still there was just this kind of, you know, spiteful something in my heart that wanted to lash out, and it was only much, much later that I was finally able to reach a point of truly asking for forgiveness from my siblings. I'm saying maybe two weeks ago, right? But still, you know, I'm getting there. Um, so it might take all of our lives, and we honor the saints because they have truly, aside from the miracles and the wonders that they have worked, and aside from the persecutions that they have endured, they have truly buried the power of sin in their own lives. And if we say that God is wondrous in his saints, like we say in the Prochemenon today, it is because they have done this, that because Christ has overcome sin and death, in his own person, they have been granted the power to do the same, appropriate this power to defeat sin in themselves. Or as the words to the hymn from Matins says, using the surgery of grace, they have eliminated the sin in their lives. So the point is that we have to keep struggling and we have to pay attention to our own struggles because on this spectrum of holiness, we don't know where other people are at, Right? And there's a good story that the Christian writer and speaker Paula de Arcy says of going one day to a silent retreat for a few days, in fact. And she's looking forward to this silent retreat in nature with like-minded, prayerful people. Well, sure enough, a guy comes along and he's brought his guitar with him. And he's playing his guitar in his room and he's playing his guitar in the ground and he's disturbing the peace of everyone else on this supposedly silent retreat and she's really struggling to be patient right and she's thinking all these thoughts like why can't he just be quiet why is he even here if he, if, if, if he didn't know this is going to be a silent retreat can't he be silent so she approaches him one day to talk to him and she realizes that he's reading a book as she's walking up to him and it's her own book she's a published author and he's reading her own book, right? And so she says later when she tells this story, when she sees him read her book, she kind of softens towards him a bit, right? Uh, her attitude changes a bit, and she has a conversation with him. And over the course of the conversation, he says, I knew that of all the people here, you would be the only one who wouldn't judge me. She feels terrible because all she has done is judge him so far. And he goes on to say, this year... All I could do to come on this silent retreat was to bring this guitar with me. And what he means is that to be alone with his thoughts, to be alone with his pain in the silence was too hard. He had to have some kind of distraction. And he says, next year, I hope to have the courage to leave it behind. So I share this because we might look around at people and we might think they should be more patient. They should be more kind. But we don't know that what little patience they show might be all that they can manage. We might look around at parents and we might think they should do a better effort. They should try harder. We don't know that they've made an incredible effort to just get out the door. We look at others and we say they should control themselves a little bit more. But we don't know that what little self-control they show is them actually doing their level best. The only way this man could go on the retreat was with the distraction of a guitar, and this woman learned to simply have mercy on all 
no matter what. And this helps us, too, to have mercy on ourselves if we feel like we're failing short on the path of sainthood. And we realize, finally, the immense mercy and patience that God shows us in our own small and insignificant attempts. Now, part of advancing on this path of saintliness is living a holy life for the right reasons and the right motivation, because we don't always have it. St. Paul knew this, and he said that some people preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Nevertheless, he gives glory that at least Christ is being preached. And he understands that not everyone is at the same point in terms of right motivation. St. Peter initially asked Jesus, what's he going to get out of his devotion? Perhaps he's fairly low on this spectrum of correct motivations. And Christ seems to humor him, right? Christ says, when the Son of Man shall sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, right? But then he goes on to give the story, this is what comes next in the gospel, the story of the workers in the vineyard, where those who expected to receive more for their greater effort come away disappointed. The first shall be last. People who think they're entitled to a reward might be surprised. It seems like a gentle rebuke to St. Peter to not labor for what he can get out of it, but to expect a better, uh, to labor for a better motivation in serving Christ and others. And we do see that he gains this. In the book of Acts, we see that when he and John stop to heal a lame man, he says, silver and gold, I have not, but what I have, I give to you. And we see that he is not motivated by riches. When he is worshipped by Cornelius, the Roman centurion, he stops the man and says to stand, I too am a man. And we see that at this point he is not motivated by honor. And finally, in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, the throne room of God, we see him presumably being one of these 24 elders. And he, together with all of them, They bow down, they get on their knees, and they throw their crowns on the floor. And this is what characterizes the saints, that all things are truly worthless in the greatness of serving Christ for his sake alone. To conclude then, a key thing that has changed for him is the receiving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. To go from, what will I get? What will you give me? To getting on the floor and casting away all honor away from him. Because when one has received the Holy Spirit, one has received it all. We experience our own Pentecost at our chrismation. And to the new catechumens who will be made so today, this is something to look forward to on your journey. This experience we renew again and again as we participate in the sacraments of the church. Indeed, we will sing later on today, we have seen the true light, we have received the heavenly spirit. We also activate, develop, and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our lives as we struggle on this path to holiness, with he who wants to take us to wholeness and to freedom. May we all realize the significance that we too have received the Holy Spirit in our own journeys to holiness, no matter what stage we're at, through the prayers of all the saints. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.